yesterday I was offered twenty dollars. I'm not going to plug the website, but they were offering twenty dollars for a free meal between six p.m. and ten p.m. in New York City. So I okay. took advantage of it by getting two large decadent smoothies from the smoothie place across the street from me, which okay. I would normally just walk downstairs and get. But because I was getting the free twenty dollars, I had to order it online and have it delivered. Okay. So Did everything you, uh, goes great. Smoothies show up. They're free. It's awesome. Nice tip for the driver, of course. And then uh, I realized that there are no straws in here. Now, oh boy. what's the play? Oh boy. What would Shoot. you do in this scenario? Dark summer's Dump it out the window. You would just throw it? No, I wouldn't throw the whole cup, but I would dump the beverage out the window because why can't? what am I supposed to do? Drink this with my mouth and get ants in my mouth? Why are there ants? Because you got smoothie on your face. <laughs> and the ants got on your face. Oh, so you're saying it's more of like attracting the ants. Yeah, there's not ants in this. Jesus, guys. Guys, where are you know. ordering your smoothies from that you think ants are a thing? Dan Hill. We don't have ants. Uh, we don't <laughs> We don't have smoothies in West Virginia, but like, I imagine there's probably the sweet taste of them mm-hmm. will draw in the ants. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. If you leave Too apple sweet. on ground, yeah. it's ants. Right there. If you leave smoothie on face, it's ants. Right there. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a question, Russ? Did you get spirulina up in them? What? Did you get spirulina up in them? I don't know them? what that is. Oh, it's a good algae. They put them in smoothies to get strong. Oh, yeah, no. I, I got a dessert smoothie. Mine is not for health. All smoothies are dessert smoothies, if you're healthy enough. If it's not healthy, it's a milkshake. Yeah. That's you a dumb dumb. One time I got a smoothie with spirulina in it, and it gave me the worst diarrhea I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> nice try, algae. Not again. I just wanted to say I sheepishly walked across the street, walked into the store and was like, hey, um, uh, uh, I ordered online, but I didn't get a straw, so I'm just going to take a few straws, okay? Goodbye. You left your home to get a straw? <laughs> Learn to fashion one from foil and tape. My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best games with a Z of the week. My name is Griffin McElroy, and I also know the best games of the week. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I know the best plural games of the week. My name is Russ Rushing, and I know the best games of the week. Someone's not trying to wake that baby up. I love yeah, it. Well, it's so good. It's so good. It's uh, Welcome to the Besties, where we profile the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. It's a video game club. And just by listening, my friend, you are a member. Christopher Thomas Plant, how many times do you have to introduce yourself as Christopher Thomas Plant before it becomes a, like, Jean-Paul Gaultier situation, before you're Paul Thomas Anderson? I think at least another hundred, you know. If it hasn't happened now, it's not going to happen. Yeah. The number in my head was hundred. This week, we're going to be talking about two games. That's right, two games. Axiom Verge 2, and after the break, Psychonauts 2. Two sequels, two very different products. Uh, Christopher Thomas Plant, now we're down to 99. Uh, Tell me a little something about Axiom Verge 2. Axiom Verge 2 is a Metroidvania type of game that's a sequel to Axiom Verge 1, but in a twist, is quite a bit different than Axiom Verge 1, where that game is 
uh, a very loyal ode to uh, the Metroid games. This one is a little bit different, but I'll save how it's different for our conversation. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. They're wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice, easy solution save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month? Say bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills, the unexpected overages. Sound familiar? To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Real quick, before we even get into... Very quickly, 30 seconds, experience with first Axiom Verge, because I bounced off this thing so bad. Like, uh, it it had a very lo-fi sort of retro aesthetic, uh, and it did not appeal to me whatsoever, did not enjoy it, bounced off very quickly. First Axiom Verge. As you guys know, I play every Metroidvania ever, and Axiom Verge is no different. I played that one as well. I played the whole thing. I beat it. Did not love it. I thought it was okay, but I was not super grabbed by it. Um, I can't, I don't know. Part of it was the art style. Part of it was just like the guidance, like player guidance and and stuff like that just didn't do it for me. It never clicked. I feel very differently about Axiom Verge 2, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, Axiom Verge 1, I feel like uh, it adheres to that Metroid formula a little bit too closely and doesn't quite... I got lost a lot in Axiom Verge, which, like, in a Metroidvania, when you go too long without, like, making progress or getting an upgrade, like, it is the most defeating thing. And I've tried to play Axiom Verge a few times. I fucking love the aesthetic and the, like, the whole vibe of it and the weird cyber gods shit. Like, that's all extremely my jam. And maybe one day I'll get through it, but... Um, yeah, that, that carrot on a stick approach just never really clicked with me in Axiom Verge. And though Axiom Verge 2 is a wildly different thing, I, I, it, for whatever reason, it did click with me this time. Plant, did you play the first one? Yeah, I, I just skipped Axiom Verge 1 altogether. I, I'm really having a journey. Russ Freshick has been dealing with a lot of text messages this week about whether or not I like Metroidvania games because I'm having a real crisis of conscience. And I'm in a different place now, this morning, than I think I was even around, I don't know, my last text to him uh, at about 11 p.m. last night. Yeah, I I, um, I feel very, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't dig the first game, but I do actually quite enjoy this one. And and with plant struggles it's made me sort of like examine metroidvania as a genre traditionally they're like 2d games some of them are 3d but most of them are 2d games emphasis on exploration uh games like symphony of the night uh, games like super metroid and i think one of the reasons that plant 
traditionally has bounced off, and Plant, tell me if this is wrong, is that they generally have the narrative take the back uh, take a back seat in favor of exploration and like just general vibe. Um, and uh, I would say this is not, I like the narrative in this game didn't do a lot for me, even though there is a lot of it. Um, but I do think this game is a really good representation of like getting lost in a world and then slowly becoming the master of that world through yes. really, really cool upgrades that just kind of make you look at the world very differently than you did when you first got there. I think yeah. let's dial in on that. That's that I think is what sets this game apart is like where the first game is a very Metroidvania style. Like you get the different type of blasters and you get, you know, bombs or whatever that help you go through. This one is like you start out, I think Justin mentioned last week with a pickaxe and a boomerang. And there's a lot of focus on melee combat. And uh, it, the the upgrades are just... I, I not really anything that I've seen in this this genre of of game before. Um, the bit the big one for me that that sort of made the game click is you get a drone at a certain point that you can throw, so you can throw it up onto a ledge you can't reach or get it into a tiny crack. Um, and at any point you can detonate that drone and just switch back to your regular body. Uh, not a flying then, drone. Not a. a flying drone. Well, you eventually get a. Uh, there are upgrades that help with mobility, but Ish, uh, yeah. Yeah, you get a hook shot for the drone, not for you. The the and then you start getting upgrades that are separate for your drone and then for you and at certain points in the story like you can only play as one of the like it, it once you hit that point it kind of becomes a game about bodies and stuff like that in in a way that is uh I think really really unique and 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 quite cool. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to what, what Fresh said about uh, narrative and whether or not that's why I've bounced off these games in the past. I I think that's sort of right. I think what I've realized with these games is they inherently have funky pacing, which is on the first half, you are weak and things are slow and mundane. And I think this game emphasizes that with the art style, which the game takes place in effectively Antarctica and then some other places which we'll get into and it's I, I think the art at the beginning is pretty bland and mundane and I, I think to some degree that's intentional um, and what you can do in the beginning is pretty bland and mundane and then the back half of the game is the opposite uh, the back half goes bonkers in yeah. increasingly wild and hallucinogenic ways which I love and you are getting rapidly getting all these bizarre powers that are playing with the idea of your character's identity and time and space and what you even are and that is great I think the issue with so many Metroidvanias is the stories aren't good and the story is what would help me get through that first half like, if, if, the, if the story was compelling, it could pull me through the slow part and entice me to the, the back part. The writing here, I don't know if it's bad or good, honestly. I feel like I just don't read enough sci-fi, but I, I really, really, really made an effort to understand what the hell is going on in this. I don't think I'm that much of a doofus. And wow. I got to the point where I was like, I'm just skipping it. Like, this game is fun. This part is not working for me. And it, it, at a certain point, was outright getting in the way and impeding me from playing it. And I, I, I've enjoyed the game more once I, I stopped trying to even make heads or tails of it. I'm curious what it is that, like, specific with the gameplay, 
that like made you engage with it. Whereas early on, you just, is just because it you got those powers and it like oh boy. Up so <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hard to talk about this game without spoiling it. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I could say without like any major spoilers is. I would say probably in like the final third in Fresh, you you finished it, so you can you can tell me here. It completely um reimagines the world that you're in and uh forces you to like navigate it in a way that is very different than how you were getting around it. And this isn't like navigate it with like, oh, you have a hook shot now. I thought that's, that was that's gonna be to- that's about halfway through. Yeah, it's the, about halfway. If, if it's the point you're talking about, that game turns on its ear about halfway through. Yeah. Uh, so there's... I would say that is when it really clicked for me because that was when it felt like it was doing something really different. And uh, weirdly, it, it does something really different way before that, which we haven't gotten into yet, which is, so you have the uh, the boomerang and you have the, uh, the what is it? The, the pickaxe. The that, pickaxe. Yeah. They 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 clearly give you weak weapons because what they really want you to use is your hacking ability. Which Justin, do you can you describe how that works? Put out a basically like cloud of nanites in a circle around you, and if they whatever they touch, you can interact with and spend basically like energy to get them to do stuff. So if it's uh, something more minor, like you know you slow them down, that's a small amount of energy. If it's something like switch their allegiance to you. It's a large amount of energy, and and being able to do some of those bigger actions might require like upgrades or whatever. Right. You can also hack doors to open them, and there's there's yeah, a few other sort stuff. of things. And your drone also notably can also do that. It's like one of the powers you and your drone both share. So there's an enemy that is flying around in the air that you can hack to make it so you can jump on them. But in order to to jump at them and get at them where you can get them in range of your hacking ability, you would fall down a pit. So you can just sacrifice your drone chuck them into oblivion like Yoshi jump style to hack this thing so that your human body can then jump up on it safely. Like once it starts getting into stuff like that, I, it, it gets very clever very quickly. Juice, what are your thoughts about, you've been, you've been reticent. Um, you know, it's, I'm very, I'm finding it hard to form opinions on it. I, I sort of think the exploration and powers are cool, but I don't find the moment to moment that compelling. Like the, uh, Big picture, I think it's cool that the, you know, the hacking feels neat and it feels very different from the last one. I've played a lot more of this than I did of the first Axiom Verge. Of course, we didn't do a Bessie's episode on that, so I didn't necessarily feel pushed to do it. Um, I, uh, I, it, uh, there's something about it that just feels like, I feel like I spend way too much time sort of like looking around trying to figure out, like, is this something I could do right now? Or is this something I need to return to later? Um, and getting around the world to like return to the stuff is is I just don't find that particularly um, enjoyable. Um, I, I it's like I'm not necessarily like hating it, but it's not. It's just not uh, clicking with me. And I put a good few hours into it. I mean, I just got like a like okay. I'll give you an example. I saw you see this axe, and it's like uh, this big bronze axe you can get, and it's behind. Uh, this like small gap with some cracked stone. And it's like, well, um, I don't really know what to do about that. But it turns out if you go to this one place on the map, you can get a shockwave ability and you can use that shockwave ability to knock the stone down to get the axe. Like, I didn't know if that, 
like I didn't necessarily know that's the way I needed to head next. Um, I spent a lot of time no, not knowing exactly where the next place is, but I could have just walked there. Like I ended up just like looking to see what I'm supposed to do in this situation because I didn't, I hadn't encountered it before. I didn't know how far I had to go to get there. I spent a lot of time just kind of like wandering around. Um, I, I just, it didn't, uh, it didn't really hook me. And I think more, more than anything, like just the base, like you encounter a monster, a, a robot and fight it. It just feels not fun to me. It just doesn't feel particularly good. It's a lot of that crouch down and then, you know, throw your boomerang yeah. and keep it at a distance. And then it, dies eventually well, it's like one thing to note is that combat is completely optional in this game even boss fights like there you can walk right through boss fights and and any upgrades you don't get like you know souls from killing enemies to like upgrade your powers it's all exploration and discovery based so i i hit a point where you know my drone could fly over or hover over like most of the bad guys that could challenge me and i just stopped fighting altogether not because it I mean, partially because, like Justin said, it's not the most engaging combat in the world, but also, like, you don't, you really don't have to do it, which is, I don't know, an interesting thing for a game. But it also, I think, keeps it quite short because there's not many difficulty spikes. I beat it in, I think, like seven hours, maybe six and a half. Um, so it, it is, which is my main complaint about the game is I feel like it is, it does get better and better the more sort of stuff you, you find and the more ways you have to explore this world. And then it's, and then it's done, like, right when it hits what is, in my opinion, like, kind of fever pitch, which was pretty disappointing, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I did want a little more from it. I think that's generally a good thing, that they leave you wanting more and not less, um, but it does feel like it could have used a few more hours of, like, you have all the powers, and here's this whole new area you could check out, whereas really it was just, like, this tiny little, like, end game area that sort of wraps up the whole thing. I, I think this game in particular really emphasizes the idea of like, uh, I think in a lot of Metroidvanias, you, you get to this point where it's like, well, I can finally explore the whole map. But here, I feel like you're constantly getting powers that let you do that earlier on than you think you should. Like you can directly climb up walls and, you know, they mentioned the drone, um, which really helps you access like a lot more of the map than I, most games do that early on. And I think, for people that don't necessarily play a lot of these or don't necessarily love a lot of Metroidvanias, I definitely understand where Juice is coming from, where you might feel like you get lost and you don't know where you're going. I mean, Plant had the same issue with that yeah. exact same power-up. Like, he didn't know where to go. I've played so many of these at this point that, like, it feels like a... In the way that, like, Dark Souls feels like a language, it feels like a language to me where I know, oh, Crackstone, I don't have anything that can break that. I know I need an upgrade. I've searched everywhere in this area. I have to go somewhere else to get an upgrade to break that Crackstone. Like, there was no doubt in my mind. So I think it's just, like, a familiarity thing. I'm not saying that's good or bad from a design perspective. Yeah. But I do understand why newcomers would struggle. And this is definitely not, like, a newcomer Metroidvania. No. No, here, here's a pro tip. The map screen is, like, graph paper, and it's the fog of war where as you go through little blocks, you are adding to the picture on the map. And it, and it is, like, a, effectively a tiny version of the world that you have seen. So if you, like past a waterfall you can see that unfortunately it's not large enough that you can see specific things that you want to go back and break through or like mountain ledges that you think you would be able to reach and there's no way to mark up the map uh, that's, the not, real no, tip that's not here, true you can that's not true. Not? yeah yeah you can mark up the map you can yeah yeah Ugh. i did i did not see it yeah you so, just press a 
Jeez. And it lets the you loot different icons? Buttons. Uh, no, I mean, it lets you set a reminder blip, but... Oh, but, it, it, yeah, it doesn't let you, like, send... You can't mark it up, like, with a... Like, you can't, like, do it Breath of the Wild style, where you're... No, I mean, different there's icons not, like, multiple things. things, but, I mean, I don't know. I didn't yeah, feel like right. I needed more than one wow. icon to be like, oh, I need to go back here. Anyway, <laughs> that's not the, the big tip. The, the tip is, you will often, at least for me, see, like, a, a little glowing like green icon of hey here's where you need to go next and it'll be like five blocks directly beneath where you are that that doesn't mean you should actually try to go down and it'll seem like maybe you can through some ways through some breakable walls or something for me often it wasn't that route it would be like you actually need to go 20 blocks away from it right go down into a lake go diagonally in a different direction and then go back up to that so it it was again and i think this is fresh you knowing the language of it is like oh it's always playing with your perception of space but for me i would waste a lot of time trying to figure out a closer path to it because my logic was well i I just completed something in this area and that is the next beacon and it seems to be very close to here so why would it not do that why would it have me go all the way back it's funny because the Metroidvania like fan community is very split on this. I think there's two approaches. Yeah. The other approach is like games like uh, Metroid Zero Mission or Ori in the Blind Forest give you a very directed approach. It does exactly what you're talking about, which is you'll get a waypoint and you more or less beeline to that waypoint and you will get to the place you're going for. This game and a number of other games will give you a vague location sort of in the same vicinity but definitely not tell you the way to get there. I prefer the latter because I feel like, and again, like the thing that I love about these games is just because I love getting lost in these worlds and then find like finally figuring out, oh, this is the way to go. And I feel like I discovered something. Whereas the yeah. more guided way can feel, um, again, more like by the nose directed. Yeah, the, the issue for me is it, it, I feel like it was trying to do both because the, the beacon dot is literally in a single block in the graph paper yeah so it, it's pretty clear of like this is where you need to go honestly if there hadn't been anything and it was just like hey just go explore good luck i, I would have gotten lost more but i think i would have enjoyed it more because i wouldn't have been batting my head against a wall so often yeah that's um, that's fair yeah we didn't really mention anything about sort of the aesthetics of the game it oh, is yeah. it is uh heavily inspired by like ancient mesopotamian like culture and uh history and stuff like that like one of the main sort of uh entities that you speak to is lamasu who is like a you know mesopotamian deity uh and the the music for the game is pretty different from uh anything i think i've heard in a video game before i really don't know how to uh it's it is a lot of you know, it's a lot of world instruments and a lot of like uh, a lot of. Yeah. And it's it's such a distinct thing from Axiom Verge, which was very like this is you are in a video game. This is maybe a computer world. Uh, yeah. Bold. I, I think, really a like bold the music. thing. Yeah. The music fucking kicks ass. Yeah. It's it's it, it, I got excited every time I got to a new area because the music just is so distinct. Um I, yeah. I don't know if I'd recommend this game to everybody. So definitely not yeah, to everybody. That, that 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 that's kind of the my my final thought of it is I again fresh nose. I really was not clicking with it when I started. I kind of warmed up to it. I ended up playing a lot more last night in deep into that second half that you were talking about, and I was I was really gelling with it. 
that said, I don't, I, I mean, I agree with hoops that the moment to moment is not particularly fun. I found the whole game extremely clever. Like mm-hmm. I, especially in the second half, I just kept thinking like, wow, this pacing, I didn't enjoy it, but I think it's kind of brilliant. And wow, I didn't really like the art in the first half, but that transition from the mundane to where you end up going is inspired. Like it really works well in the way like a book works well and having a kind of a natural pace that pulls you in. Um, So I admire it. And I think in terms of for people who I would recommend this to, we have a lot of listeners who don't play a lot of games. I don't know if I would recommend this to them. But if you are yeah. somebody like Frush who really, really likes this genre, and you know you can taste the tannins in this uh, uh, fine wine <laughs> of Metroidvania, it's I think okay. I do think this is for you. I think you would really, really, really appreciate what's it's going got, on here. It's got a crunchiness to it that I could tell if you got into it, you would get super deep. Yeah, right. like it would it would really, really click with you. It's a, it's it's interesting at this point when you've been doing this for as long as I have to separate that from like appealing to you. Yeah, like this is good. This is not for me. This is good. I know this is good. It's just not for me. Speed runs of this game also are going to be silly. And there's a mode, really right? Wild. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a, a speedrun mode. They they supported that a lot in Axiom Verge One. We we got a uh, whole another game to talk about, so maybe we should okay. uh, keep keep rolling. Let's uh yeah, let's take a break. Axiom Verge Two, check it totally out. Next up, Psychonauts Two. Hang with us. We'll be right back. This episode of the Best of These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind those are the sorts of people that you would say oh maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that that is where aura frames comes in it's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos. You can do whatever you want. And it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their Aura frames. And they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have 
and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. Chris Plant has had to step away for a family emergency, by which I mean he didn't charge his last. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little industry slang for it's you. Right. Not what you uh, but we are here we are here to talk with you about Psychonauts 2, the long in development, long awaited sequel to uh Super Mario Brothers the Lost <laughs> No, it's to Psychonauts. <laughs> Uh, Psychonauts 2, it is, uh, I guess, was it out today? If yeah, it's, it this? is out, yeah. It's um, available on Game Pass, uh, and, uh, PC and Xbox. This, the uh, first came out 16 oh, years ago, by the way, just to, uh, yeah, there's a 20, uh, 2005 first Psychonauts came out, and then 12 years later, the Rhombus of Ruin, the PSVR, uh, sort of in, in interstitial chapter also, uh was released, so, which this game ties some of the events into in a nice little animated introduction. I, I wanted to mention, uh, you mentioned the first game when it came out. The first game came out right when I started doing video game journalism stuff. Yeah, right. So it is a very weird experience to be playing this game now um, because it is like a total time warp trip to back to yeah. that period. It's very close to when I, I we started at similar times. Right. This is like... I was doing freelancing at yeah. this point. Um, I hadn't started a joystick yet, but like it was very much early, like formative. Did you guys play the first game at all? Oh yeah, sure. Oh, it was yeah, a sure. it was a yeah. big goatee contender back then. And and some context, if you were like super young back then or didn't play the original Psychonauts, is that it was already kind of a throwback thing. Like this run around collectathon three mm-hmm. D platformer banjo kazooie style thing was not necessarily i mean the closest we got to it was fucking like blinks the time sweeper like this genre was on its way out when the first psychonauts dropped back in 2005 and i think that's important context because i playing psychonauts 2 was like i have not fucking played a 3d platformer where i had to run around and collect a hundred you know acorns or whatever more, more very quick context for you uh, on the original Psychonauts. Tim Schafer is the designer of that game and, and lead designer of this game. Um, Tim Schafer is somebody who came up in the uh, uh, LucasArts stable. He designed games like Grim Fandango and Full Throttle. Had very much a cult following. And Psychonauts is a very interesting case of like, it felt like him finally getting to make a big, full-budget, action platformer you know a, a way from moving away from like the adventure games that he had done and like something really on a scale that he had not done before and because it was published by uh, a smaller publisher and it didn't do the kind of sales numbers it was published by majesco uh, it, it was majesco yeah, I, yeah I mean, it's like very very under the radar uh according to this it sold around a hundred thousand copies Jesus. and it was very much like scooped up in the time after that, yeah. like it wasn't big when it launched, it was big, you know, in the years after that, when people started to discover it. And, um, that is why, like, 
It is the only reason I think that there is a Psychonauts 2. It, because it is it, it is the sort of like good, warm, fuzzy feelings people have about the first one uh, and about its like cult status and kind of like a, an one of the last, like, I think, last times you were able to have, like, a true, like, cult thing that didn't get played actually by a million people. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to, just to mention the sales real quick, and I think part of it, 100%, is the fact that Majesco put this game out, and Majesco was not known for putting out Smash hits. Um, but I think it's also just the weirdness of this game made it a very hard pitch for people um, I still, we, you know, on Twitter, we were, we were still getting questions. What even is Psychonauts? So just I'm going to do like a quick sprint of like this world yes. and kind of explain what's going on. And then we'll segue into the sequel, which directly is a sequel of all the events right. in the first game. Basically, Psychonauts is an organization of uh, folks who basically travel around the world doing good deeds through um, telekinetic powers. So... Um, the spirit of the first game is you go around as this character, Raz, who's a small, like nine year old, 10 year old boy, um, who is learning that he has psychic powers and can jump into the minds of people who are having difficulties, uh, suffering from like actual, like depression or anxiety or, uh, stage fright or whatever it is. And so the core levels of the game were, um, kind of playing through the minds of these people and you would see their fears, or anxieties represented through level design. So uh, maybe you'd, you know, be going through a 3D level and it would turn upside down, or maybe you'd, there's a whole level, that very well-known level where, that's set with all these milkmen and spies and this guy who's dealing with like a lot of uh, paranoia. And so each of the levels was this very personal story about this individual and you kind of learn what makes them tick and help them to sort of uh, accept or, or uh, work through their problems um, through these levels. So cr very creative. I'm not surprised that it tanked because how do you elevator pitch that game? But um, the second one is is more or less a continuation of that spirit. Yes. yes. Very much in, in, in sort of the polar opposite way that where uh, Axiom Verge 2 is a huge departure. This feels very much in keeping with uh, the, first, the first game. I think we've really tough have we talked about like mechanically no. what okay so mechanically here's what it is it's an action platformer where the world and the actions that you're taking are all sort of uh tied to the aesthetic or the the theme of like the the mind um so for instance your powers are all like Psychic abilities. So you have telekinesis where you can grab stuff and throw it. You have like psi beams. You can set, set, set stuff on fire with your mind. There's clairvoyance where you can read people's minds. There's, uh, I'm, I'm probably forgetting some, uh, right? There's mental connection, which is like you can connect to ideas, for example, like, um, I don't know, asking for help and winning. You connect those two ideas in the mind of someone and that like, you know, sort of rewires their brain, but then it's also a platforming mechanic because you're zipping between these ideas. Um, but that's the, that, and all the collectibles are like, um, emotional baggage, uh, emotional baggage, right? So you find emotional baggage, you unlock it and that helps the person or you, uh, uh, uh you know, the enemies are all like negative sort of thought patterns, like doubt, for example, and things like that are, or censorship, like self-censoring, 
Um, those are like the the enemies that you fight. Um, it is aesthetically uh, looks like nothing else. No. Um, Incredible. And it's probably the biggest selling point from my perspective is like it is it is it goes completely it leans completely into the fact that like it is a completely abstract setting for for a a game and it is a completely like just wildly vividly visually imaginative in all like nearly every second it is a joy to to yeah it, it the variety is really incredible because one level uh justin i you were talking about this before we started recording is like you're you're going to the mind of a barber and so there's like the there's oceans and stuff but the ocean is made up of hair and there's like barbicide giant can canisters that kill bugs and so it's all that theming and and that's like a mechanic yeah. right so there's like lice and if you Get, walk through the lice, you can't jump, so you have to get rid of the lice to move on. So you have to find a big can of Barbasol and knock it over with your telekinesis. Right. And, so, um, you know. So you have there. that sort of level. And then the next level, uh, or the one I'm playing through now, is themed after it looks like um, uh, the Yellow Submarine, the Beatles, like that aesthetic of like rainbow colors and trippy drug infused aesthetics. And all the characters are like inspired by that uh, spirit. So the, there's really a night and day jump between each of these levels. And then in between those, you're kind of thrown into this small-sized open world area where you can kind of explore and complete these like little side quests. But most of the core and where I think the heart of the game is are in these mine levels. And there are quite a few of them that definitely carry the story along. Yeah, I... I those are very, very rad. I am having trouble. And I don't know that I've played enough of this game to like really sound off on it because it is also a much bigger and much more ambitious thing than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Like mechanically speaking, like there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot more stuff to do in like combat is actually way more like, uh, mm. I, I don't know. I feel like there's, you have a, I'm looking forward to hearing what the next word out <laughs> of your mouth. Is. I don't know. I think the combat is, is more interesting than it was in the first psychonauts. Like you can't just run at each enemy and pound the, you know, punch button like there is there is a, a bit more to it than that um but it is a it is a big and ambitious game and for me the the stuff we've talked about so far is incredible and the stuff between it is a an albatross around its neck like i, I and i think if you're really into the world and the, that sense of humor and like exploring this academy where uh you know this the the psychonauts learn their stuff and all the different characters that you meet and talk to like that stuff is great but it's it's not hooking me the way that like the real meat of the thing is and it just kind of gets in the way i th i think a lot of the problem for me is that the story stuff is very much connected to the first game like this is not a um like relaunch or rethink or whatever like you go to one stage and there's even a joke where he's like you it's it's back in the setting of one of the settings from the original game and he says like i haven't been here for days and it's like well yeah in their world it has been days for me it's been 16 years and it is the world is like completely populated with a bunch of characters already that they do not do the work of like introducing to you. It feels very much like they're just like picking up where the first game left off. And there is a like introductory sequence, but it's so like 
tell don't show uh, at, that it's really hard to like dial into because it's just like and anyway there was this guy and he went into this person's yeah. mind and you it is very much assuming not only that you played the first game which I did but it's assuming that you played the first game like last week and you very much are and like if the, if you can swing it that's probably the ideal way because like I all the there's tons of characters and none of them get the sort of like introduction or reintroduction that you would hope for in a game where you're supposed to like care about the yeah, different. Yeah, people. here's this is going to be weird, especially if you've only played like the first few hours, which I think have, as Justin alluded to, like pretty serious pacing issues, just because there's a lot of exposition. But I think I, you know, having played a little bit more, I would say the parts that I find the most interesting or engaging are not the funny, goofy, I'm um, making gags about bacon parts. It's the sad and like really emotionally wrought parts. Um, that generally come at the end of levels when you understand like what this person, what this character has been going through at, you know, at, uh, through, you know, their trauma or their pressures in life or whatever it is um, that um, kind of brings stuff home. There's an early level uh, uh, that is like a mashup of a casino and a hospital. And the spirit of the level is you're given this new ability, Justin alluded to it earlier, these, this mental connection ability that lets you rewire people's like brains. And in this case, you're trying to rewire this woman's brain to get her to take the kids on a dangerous mission that she doesn't want to do. And you're doing the mission. And while I was doing it, I was like, this does not feel good, like right that we're doing this, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it because it's the mission. And then at the end of it, you are like fully shown how awful what you've just done is like you should not be doing that it's like the equivalent of one like one of those unkillable you know unforgivable curses in harry potter that right. uh, changing people's brains is wrong what you really should be doing as a true psychonaut is letting people sort of confront their own issues with you know you'll help almost like a therapist would but it is not about changing people's minds as much as it is just like giving them Helping strength them to conquer their own to, issues. Yeah. And there's a and lot more gravitas. Really than, clicks with me. There really yeah. is a lot going on there that like, and, and each of the levels has its own moment like that. I, I think all that stuff is great. I, I, you know, Justin was again talking about the combat earlier as was Griffin. I think the combat and the platforming are fine, but they feel, it feels like, they made the first game. They're like, we do not really need to update this combat or this platforming at all. Nothing has really changed in this genre for the last 17 years. There's nothing we need to do to make it feel better or more smooth or whatever. And it shows because it feels exactly the same. And to me, I've played a lot of platforming in the last 17 years, and uh, it, it feels pretty dated. Um, it it yeah. makes me feel like it's playing second fiddle to the the heart of the game, which are these stories and these worlds. Um, so I don't know. I feel a little bit like I'm slogging through some of the platforming parts where I'd rather really just like experience it as, as a story. To the point like maybe this would have been a better adventure game than it would be a platforming game. I don't know. Um, but that was just sort of my takeaway from it. I don't even, I don't even think the platform is that bad. I just think... I think uh, it's just fine. Like it doesn't feel special. To I think me. yeah, it's 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 there not- is something, and I don't know what it is, but I think that the the big thing that I was struggling with is that, and this is where you really start to see the fact that like we don't know what we're like we don't make games, right. so like we don't understand some of these. But there is a a depth issue 
with like a lot of the jumps where like I think it's because they're more focused on it looking really good than communicating things like depth and placement. But like this game more than like any 3D platformer I have played in recent memory, I found myself like missing a lot of jumps just because I couldn't tell like how far away something was or like how how spaced out it should be. Yeah, I um, think that's a good example. It, just mechanically, it just feels kind of it feels like they're a little bit out of their comfort zone um, in terms of making this specific type of game. Uh, whereas with the narrative and the story stuff, they feel like that is exactly where they should be. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's definitely one of those things where it's really great that it's on Game Pass because I could see this game coming out and being super expensive to develop and once again not doing super well because it's kind of hard to pitch. But the fact that it's on Game Pass, I think a lot more people are going to play it and uh, that feels like a way better fit to me um, than it would be just selling this as a $60 There's also, game. It's, we- it's weird, you know, I, and again, this is getting out of our lane because, like, do, we don't actually have insight into – there was not a, you know, 28-part documentary about the making of Cyberpunk <laughs> 2, so we don't have the insight. But, like, it still also feels, like, a little bit – tied together with with spit and wishes like there's there's a, a, a not infrequent that you like walk into a place and things won't populate or like there's like a level of smoothness and polish to the mechanics of of like we're talking about with the platforming and stuff like that where it just feels like it's like a little bit off of where it needs to be to be really a really like polished experience especially for as long as as it has been in development. Yeah, I, I would give a tip to people. Uh, if you really just want to experience, experience the story, there's some really great um, accessibility features. You could turn off like any damage. You can set it so yeah. like you do a ton of damage to enemies. If you don't want to worry about the combat and make the platforming relatively straightforward and you don't have to worry about health, turn all that stuff on and just like play through it like you're watching a movie, basically. Oh, it's also not very funny. Oh, Sorry. that's, I don't think that's entirely fair. <laughs> how many times did you laugh playing it? A couple. <laughs> no, Griffin, how many times did you laugh playing it? I got a couple it? good chuckles. I got a couple giggles out of it. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's try. It's super try hard in a way. You want to talk about stuff that feels dated now, right? That wouldn't have felt dated in 2005. I don't mean this as a crit. I'm saying that like humor and this specifically this kind of like irreverence has been done so well mm. so many times since this game originally came out that like the the comedy of it like it feels like it doesn't feel have the same sort of um uh it doesn't feel as dangerous or like as as witty as it did 15 years ago when games took themselves so much more seriously. That I, yeah. that I agree uh, with. I was looking back at the releases that came out the same year as the original Psychonauts, and you compare those narratives to like the narratives today where we see 16 incredibly cool, risky narrative indie games come out every month, um, and it's a very right. different environment than it was back then. So I think uh, Psychonauts had the edge in, in a way that it does not any longer on that narrative yeah. side. Can we do emails? Yeah. Uh, Chris is usually the shepherd of these, but I can start. Uh, Chris, uh, C. Polito87 says the Milkman conspiracy from Psychonauts 1 is uh, one of only 27 video game levels with its own Wikipedia page. Are any of the levels in Psychonauts 2 worthy of a Wikipedia page? I don't know that I've hit anything that really. Like the Milkman conspiracy thing is what people talked about. Yeah. Like you couldn't talk about Psychonauts 1 without talking about that wild ass level. And I'd. 
I bet there's something. I just don't think I would have like the stuff that I've seen has been artistically really inspired, uh, but mechanically like not as. There, there was. Uh, a, as I did a level that, that was like a, a cooking show with hand puppets, which was very cool. I don't know. Again, yeah, that, that cool. it was exactly like the Milkman's conspiracy, but it was like '70s themed and it had like '70s music and a whole set and a crowd. Real quick, guys, 15 seconds on what Milkman conspiracy is because that probably sounds wild. I don't wild know too. how to summarize that 15. The seconds. It's like a, almost. It, it is a weird. Psychonauts is a lot like Psychonauts 2, so if you've played that now, you kind of get a vibe for it. But the Milkman Conspiracy level was just like out of nowhere, here is Splinter Cell. Like, it was just like a a complete fucking, like, uh, whiplash, wild thing that has like one joke that it really focuses in on, which is also not sort of the comedy style of, of... of double fine games uh i it's it is just so i don't know it's just really 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 memorable yeah it's worth Um, watching a youtube video uh if you're not going to play through the whole game just to see it because it's really it's it's really tough to summarize really wild it's interesting uh here's one about axiom verge uh from gord ky on uh twitter is axiom verge worth playing now that a sequel is out does it feel dated is it necessary story-wise we did not talk about this you really like uh, real quick, the there's this concept in Axiom Verge called the breach, which is this sort of big storm that all like worlds and realities are kind of suspended in, and that's the connective tissue between uh, these these two games. There is almost no connective tissue, I think. Otherwise, yeah, you could fully skip it. Um, yeah, I, and be fine. You don't. Have to I think there's it. definitely some like they use the term like pattern mind a few times in Axiom Verge two in a way you definitely do not need to know what it is. To, I also it's like think Star the, Trek lingo that is it is explained in the first. I think Axiom the protagonist Verge. of two is maybe the antagonist of the first game. Not an antagonist. Uh, there, the theory is a side. Let's but that's anyway, <laughs> trending towards spoilers. I I I think one day I will play through Axiom Verge because I think there's a lot there that I think is very cool. Uh, it it's just takes a little bit more work than I think I'm usually willing to uh, to uh, put into a, a, a Metroidvania like this. Um, honorable mentions, anyone? Have you been playing Spelunky 1 and 2 on Switch? I have. Ooh. It's really it? good, y'all. <laughs> uh, if, if, you know, we've talked enough about Spelunky on this podcast is I don't want to bore people. But yeah. uh, both of them are out on Switch as of this moment. Um, they're both incredible. Um, and I think the Switch is the perfect platform for it because it really is like an obviously pick up and put down kind of system. And yeah. given the restart, le- relearn nature of these games, um, it's really uh, a perfect platform for it. Uh, yes. Splunky 2 in particular. Yeah, they both run ga- great, but Splunky 2 runs really well. Uh, super actually better than it did on my PC, which is funny and is an incredible multiplayer game. Uh, so if you have the chance, um, definitely grab that because it's um, really one of my favorite games the last few years. Do you have been playing anything? I very randomly uh, reinstalled. Um... Wait, did I tell you guys about the veil? Oh, that's oh, what I want to talk about. Yeah, the veil. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you guys try no, it? I, I have not tried it. I want to. Uh, the Veil is a uh, uh, so okay. I'll give you the story of the Veil. You are the uh, sister of a newly crowned king who, rather than like focus on ruling the kingdom, you have spent your life learning how to fight through various circumstances. You find yourself uh, like five hundred miles away from your home kingdom, and you have to get back using just your wits and your sword 
to, uh, or, you know, broken, rusty sword that you start with to uh, navigate the world. But the thing that is, um, uh, sets this game apart is that your character is not sighted. They cannot see. So the game is com presented completely without visuals. It is completely audio. Even the uh, navigating menus, combat, changing equipment, navigating in the world, it's all audio. And that works through uh, various cues. Like I'll give you an example. Very early on, you're playing like hide and seek with your friends and this, uh, you're, you're looking for this one guy and someone says he's near the like the water mill or what have you. And I, at first I was just kind of wandering around running into walls. And then I was like, wait a minute, the, I could hear it. I hear yeah. the water mill. It's, you have to play with headphones. I mean, you have to, um, but then you could hear the direction of it and you can head there and find the person you're looking for in combat. You hear someone about to attack you and you use that to time your counterattacks and how, where you need to attack because you can hear the enemies. Uh, moving around, right? So there's all kinds of really smart stuff like that. What's very cool about it, besides the fact that it's like innovative and different, is that because you are removing the visual element and you can't really like skip through anything, it really draws you in. I mean, it's very, because it's all, you're, you know, you're presenting it in the theater of the mind. It's like very immersive in that sense because you are creating the visuals your, yourself, so uh, because you have to really focus in on the sounds of the game and focus in on what people are saying and that kind of thing, it's really immersive because it really like you have to be dialed in. Um, it's a very cool thing. I have not uh, finished to see like how they use some of these different uh, ideas, but uh, it's called The Veil. Uh, v -A -L -E. I think it's on it's uh, cool. Xbox and PC. Is it? Okay. I played 12 minutes. It's not good. It's not good. It's, it's like bad. I hear it's like a David Cage game in miniature. That's a fair way of putting it. It's a it, I, it, the premise is interesting. It's an adventure game where time is looping, and you're a guy, and uh, you're a guy, you're a guy, cool. and you <laughs> come like... home to your your wife, and then a few minutes later, fucking Willem Dafoe shows up and kills you, uh, and so you have to figure out how to get away from that. But um, the looping is not very, it gets very repetitive very quickly, but like all the mechanic stuff aside, and there's issues with the mechanic stuff, it is like wild, not self-aware trauma porn, like mm. with It does a, sound like David Cage. <laughs> yeah, it, it, honest to God, guys, it even, it goes even further than... It's it it make this game makes David Cage seem like a restrained monastic sort <laughs> of uh, dude, uh, and it also has a t a twist ending that is really very very terrible uh it's i i have not been i don't know i don't it's not like i was like wildly looking forward to this game but it looked neat and you know it's got um daisy ridley and willem dafoe and uh fucking young McAvoy? professor x whose name i can't remember James McAvoy. yes um but god almighty it falls so it doesn't just fall flat like it's actively pretty gross <laughs> Uh, so this is about as hard a hard a recommendation for pass as I can possibly generate for a video game. Would you be able if you could separate your fucking <laughs> politics for Jesus, one second? Wait, is it in any way fun? 
Uh, oh no, fun's <laughs> not the word I would use to. I mean, I guess, I guess if you, I, do you, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, yeah uh, I, I it's yeah i don't i don't even it's not even politics it's just like uh man i i don't want to talk i, I st- as much as i despise this game i don't feel like spoiling it is a fair thing to do but you guys should not play it yeah thanks so much for reviewing our show to uh you go ahead you okay the sunny buddy muffin because... thank you lift slow h scarf elephant algorithms and who t55 Thank you for writing oh, reviews. Oh, crap. Okay, Plan isn't here to do this, so I'm going to tell you the games we talked about. It's Axiom Verge 2 and Psychonauts 2. We talked about Spelunky 1 and 2 on the Switch. The Veil is the sort of audio adventure um, uh, that's on Steam and apparently Xbox and PlayStation. No, just Xbox. And then just Xbox and then 12 Minutes is the looping narrative game on was it various platforms? Yeah, I played it on Game Pass now. Oh, is it? And next next week we're going to be talking about heroes. No, wait a minute. Excuse me. There's no more How heroes than this one and this third one. Have no you more guys heroes started three. playing this or, game yet? No, no. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I hear it's buck wild. All right, <laughs> it's buck wild. All right, all right. That's going to do it for us this week on the Besties. Uh, be sure to join us again uh, next time for the Besties. Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Steve.